the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to the Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Mary Jane Laurie and today I'm talking to Colin McGregor of McGregor Farms in the Scottish Borders. Colin and his team farm their home farm Coldstream Mains in Berwickshire as well as a number of contract farms within the area. So good morning Colin. Good morning. Morning. Can you start by introducing yourself a bit? Uh, yeah, just as you said Mary Jane, we're based here at Coldstream uh, in the Scottish Borders. Uh, family been here since 1927. We're uh, cannon farmers on this farm, close to mains, and we own some land locally as well. Uh, and then in addition to that, we have 15 contract farming agreements within oh, wow. a 15-mile radius of, of uh, home. So how, how big is the home farm? Uh, the home farm's uh, just over 300 hectares. Um, okay. And the, you know, on top of that, we're farming uh, about another 2,200 hectares in, within 15 contract farming agreements. Some of us in England, because we're right in the body here, we're, we're uh, safe people, we're on the right side here, but uh, yeah. about a third of the, the land is in, is in England, so it's quite interesting that they have the, the comparison between the two, which in some issues is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what attracted you to a career in farming? Just always being brought up on the farm, did, did you see yourself doing anything different? No, I guess not, no. Um, yeah, very, I suppose luckily born into it, uh, we've got about generations of farmers, but I was always interested in a younger brother who never showed any interest, and then okay. uh, I was always open about helping. And then when I was ten, my father died uh, when he was about seven, which obviously wasn't oh, planned. Oh gosh! Um, yeah. And I, there was no pressure to come home, but I, I was lucky. I, I've always said I've been very lucky that my mother could have easily walked away when she had two young boys at that age. But then yeah. I'm showing enough interest that uh, she carried on, and she she was helped by a number of people and uh, a farm manager. Um, yeah. And then there was, um, there was sort of a need for me to come back when I was just turned one. So it was SIUC in Edinburgh. Uh, okay, so you, stu- you went, went, went away and studied for a wee while first. Yeah, yeah. And I've done various yeah. other things since. But um, yeah, so I came back home. And, and it's one of the keys, I think, to, to, to I think anything is, is responsibility when people are young. So and my mother, because she'd done a, a holding operation for for those um, sort of 11, 12 years, uh, she yeah. was, you know, very good at letting me get on with it. And um, it would have been wonderful to have my father there and and maybe he would have stopped me making some of the mistakes I've made. But um, <laughs> it's quite, yeah, I think the key is that you have to try and give people responsibility young and, and sink or swim and, and uh, you know, get on with it. So that's what we did. And, and so yeah. I've been here really looking after the business, um, which was the whole business of about 300 odd hectares um, since uh, 1989. So when you first came back from college, did you have the farm manager helping you or were you literally just on your own no, from that no, moment? He, he, uh, he'd actually left and uh, okay. that was why there was sort of a need for me to come home. And we were, okay. and in hindsight, the, the, my father was, I suppose, quite progressive in his day. He was growing vegetables, potatoes and cereals, no livestock. There'd been a dairy uh-huh. farm here until the late 60s. And then my father turned, and he was in his early days farm, he turned to my grandfather and said, uh, you know, I don't want to milk cows. My grandfather said, well, I've never wanted to milk cows, so <laughs> So, so and, why are we uh, doing it? <laughs> yeah, why are we doing it? I think my father had the courage to sort of do what my grandfather always wanted to do. So that was 1965. And mm-hmm. um, and then at that point, people said, oh, I'll never do. But, you know, now in this area, it's predominantly arable farms and, um, you know, the diversifications and the 
Yeah. It's, it's not an issue. But back then, it, you know, people thought it would never work, but it did work, and it's become the norm around here. Yeah. So we've been an animal farm since then, and then my father was involved in growing and um, setting up a vining pea cooperative in this area, which still runs. And then okay. um, we built this factory, and then what did we do with the factory for the rest of the years? We started with vegetables, came through soft fruit. Um, so he was sort of in his heyday doing all that when he when he died. And then I think in hindsight, the, what should have happened, what we should have simplified the business as a holding operation, but we didn't. Um, so I came back to quite a complicated business that wasn't really going very well. Um, right. And we, so at that point we rationalised and unfortunately we made staff redundant and concentrated in serious indicators. And that was yeah. pretty much the case through the, the 90s. Um, and we sort of jumped on a potato bandwagon of renting land and building food stores and, and this sort of thing. It worked pretty well. Um, and then we were approached by a neighbour to do our first contract farming agreement in, um, I think it was 19, uh, 90, uh, late 90s. Uh, late 90s. Okay. So um, when, when you first came back, you obviously made quite a few changes to try and simplify things. Why did you decide to then start looking for new opportunities? Were you just feeling that you, it was time for the business to grow? Yeah, it was, um, I think, because I was, I was very young and we, you know, my mum was, was a sort of support to me um, and still is, but but she didn't have all the practical experience. She relied on others to do that. So, you know, I, I really was going to Swim pretty hard and, and learn my craft, I suppose. So that's why I was simplified things, um, and and that that's all worked pretty well. So you know, in the nineties, it was a case of learning your craft, and, and you know, I, I was pretty young, and, a, and a, you know, things have changed a lot in those days. But um, you know, I was always really a fairly young guy trying to just pick things up and learn, and and then yeah. I think there was a realization in the in the nineties that um, you know probably the business would have to grow um, if it was going to. Um, you know, continue and, and um, you know, I, I, I think if you're, because I was sort of keen and, and sort of out there willing to do things and, um, you know, then other people saw that and that was when we were lucky that at first sort of a neighbour two farms and we approached us and said, look, you know, we want to take a step back and you'd be interested in doing something and that was the start of the farming journey that was then. And at that time, was contract was contract farming quite commonplace at that time, or was it quite an no, unusual? It was, it was arrangement? very rare, yeah. No, there wasn't yeah. a lot of it, and um, you know, it's evolved quite considerably then, and the way the agreements are structured and so on. But uh, we are very lucky that we're at the point now where all the agreements have been by referral and recommendation, people questions, and um, which is a good basis to start on because it's you know at the end of the day, whether there's you know no matter what paperwork you have in there, if you don't trust the, the, the people that you're working with. And that from both sides, and it really doesn't work. And, and uh, you know, our agreements are all long-standing, and, and um, we've been very fortunate in, in that respect. And so, from the first one in the first one in the nineties, um, how how quickly did you then start taking other ones on? Well, it was uh, yeah, it was quite interesting. So, I, we, we, there was the first one, and then there was just another neighbour approached us, and then um, I've told before, but we. I did the Worship Company of Farmers Advanced Business Management course in 2001 in White okay. and I held a science system. Uh, and I was, at that point, I was about 32, 33. Um, and that was great because it was it was three weeks away from home, um, uh, residential course, and it's still run. And, and people should, if anyone's interested in the 30s, it's a good age to do it, you should consider doing it. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, that made me stand back and look at it. And I thought, yeah, you know, this is maybe a way we could grow. Um, and go forward from there. And I came back from there, and it was, and it was one of the best things I've ever done in, in my life in terms of actually standing back and looking at it, yeah, looking at where you want to go. And 
Anyway, it came back from there, and within a year, Phil and I got married, uh, and we then had two other neighbours approach us within 18 months of us being married. Oh, wow. That was, uh, <laughs> uh, that That's was a very rapid <laughs> It was, yeah. Well, we had Adam and Baby as well to contend with, so um, the things happened all very quickly, and, and uh, these two neighbours, they took uh, just over 2,000 acres. So when your neighbour approaches you and says, that, you know, we could be interested in, in you know, getting involved with this, you know, it's almost a once in a lifetime opportunity so you know, we did say no and it was very quick and, and suddenly we were you know building the business very quickly which was which was great it, you know it was, it was great fun and it was a you know it was, it was really good that people felt that we could you know we all work together and, and you know bring something in. and you know the challenge is trying to get economies of scale into and it's not always easy you know everyone thinks because you're farming lots of hectares or acres that there are economies of scale come automatically but we don't and uh, it's very easy to build the cost structure um, very quickly that doesn't bring you economies of scale. So that's one of the challenges that you know, growing businesses have. So, so when you first took on the extra ones and suddenly, you know, like almost what tripled your, your area um, in a short space of time or doubled your area in a short space of time, did you find you had to take on new staff or did you just work extra hours at that point to, to get it all done? Yeah, well, when you're young and daft, you can do that, don't you? But yeah. <laughs> it's uh, you know it, it can't go on forever. So no, it was very much a case of, of um, building a team and, and yeah. um, you know other people coming to join us, which was good. And if you get a right team, you know if you get the right team, it is good. Um, yeah. One of the the key points was we got to um, 2008. Yeah, when uh, you remember the wet harvests. And, uh, yeah. Uh, 2008 was wet harvest, but we had a. Uh, I remember there was a phone call from somebody then who was still farming. And uh, he said, what's the difference between uh, Alexian 580 and Alexian 600 combine, class combine? Uh, and I said, well, the, the big difference is, uh, you know, about 50,000 pounds, but you know, if you've got a good operator in one and a less good operator, maybe not a lot of output or whatever. And he said, well, I don't think I'm going to buy another combine. He said, I think you should, and you should farm my, my, uh, you know, my farm community. So, uh, all right, okay. So anyway, and that was 1,000 hectares, 2,500 acres. So um, Jill and I were about to go to holiday, so I remember we were, uh, went off on holiday and I then told her I'd had a phone call. Um, so when we came back and, but, and, and you know, we put that deal together and that was another big jump. But, but that was actually another turning point and the key to that was that actually, and, and I still am, I'm the weakest, because I don't have a father or a brother with me. Um, my mother's now retired and, and so I'm in a partner. Um, and uh, the key, you know, I very quickly realised that I was very, we were very vulnerable as a business, which is Jim and I. So at that point, um, we advertised for a, an arable manager, an arable technical manager, you know, and a really good uh, chap, David Fuller, joined us in 2008. Um, and it was an interesting thing. I remember the interview process. I interviewed four people, and um, people were, there was one chap, and he said, well, you know, I'm going to be your farm manager. What are you going to do? And I said, no, no, no. I said, you know, we're going to do this together. You know, I'm the farm manager, you're the technical manager, we're going to you know, run this business together. And some people just didn't get that at all, but David did get it. And uh, he was very happy and he's excellent. And um, so David and I did all the practice stuff together. We have Jill in the office and, and she's got two part-time ladies help her. And that's where we're going from there. So that was it. And the key thing was security for our clients as well. Because when I get knocked over by the verbal bus or whatever, then... Um, you know, it's our business as well, they're vulnerable, so you know, there's more strength and depth and, and resilience in our business by having the right management structure. And, and yeah, that could be done with a father-son relationship or combination, but that wasn't an option for us. So 
and then you have to look into the marketplace to see how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like it was a good decision because it just takes that extra pressure off you having to make all the decisions all of the time, all on your own. You know, it's good to have someone else to, to bounce ideas off and, and, and help manage other staff because presumably you have quite a lot of um, general farm workers and tractor men as well um, operating under, well, over, what, what have you got, two and a half thousand hectares. Um, how many men do you have working for you now? Uh, yeah, no, we've, we've uh, six full-time full guys outside um, and then David, uh, Bill and I, and then this last year we took on a graduate training manager um, who's been a student with us for three years, and uh, Tom joined us, and, um, and he's currently about studying his basis and his tax training, and uh, as I said to Tommy, I'll be with us forever, that's fine, but um, you know, it's just that somebody else who's um, it's all about attention to you, trying to do things right, and um, you know, just feel it's, it's important, but so Tom drives a combine and jumps in the sprayers and scoots things going, but um, really so do you do your own agronomy and stuff for your contract farming agreements as yeah, well? Yeah, absolutely. So, so David's, uh, David's responsibility, you know, we do it all together and, and you can move into what the titles, but Arab technical manager is responsible for the Arab manager, but he's responsible for growing the crops. Um, so he does all the agronomy and how. And actually quite key to, to our business. We're not relying on service agronomy um, to you know, one supplier that's giving advice and it's on the outcome. So David's making, you know, he's got lots of information sources that he's pulling together, um, creating his own policy, uh, and support for it, you know, and all of these. Probably quite a place to shop around, yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, it works really well. So, um, you know, that's, you know, it's, you know, USPs. And so you were also an early adopter of precision farming techniques, weren't you? What, what precision farming techniques do you use nowadays? Yeah, well, really, uh, we started with yield mapping, which was a trendy thing in the, in the mid-90s, and lots of coloured maps, but probably that's the thing you probably need to last. And go and then wait. Uh, and one of the things I touched on before, you know, we out and about in the soil, soil, S-O-Y-L, first customer in, in Scotland, and we used to spread uh, the food and cake at the end and things like that. That got decided about, and, and that's quite a good thing to be seen out in the um, So, yeah, all our, all our soils are mapped, um, very, very high, phosphate and cash line. Um, all our soils now that are activity mapped, so they're very, very high of seed. And actually, very, very high for insects, all of the, the steam systems running, um, and we're still your mapping, but that's actually the, probably the last thing in the chain. To, um, you know, once you try and analyse the results of these different things, it's, it's, um, yes, we think it works well. It's just part of standard practice now for us, what we do in our farming system. So in terms of running the business efficiently, then, we've kind of talked about having good staff and precision techniques. Is there any other keys to your business running efficiently? Because obviously you're juggling a lot of different farms, a lot of different um, you know, uh, relationships with different customers. Um, how do you keep everything running smoothly? Yeah, it's interesting. Every uh, every farm has its own individual location, um, and you know, obviously, individual budgets are all run separately. So, separate country farming agreements, and and that's we'll come on to that. But you know, it, it's uh, it's important these agreements are structured properly, and um, there are a lot of sham agreements out there that will not stand up to scrutiny if they were ever being scrutinised. So, it's important for both parties that the, the things operate, you know, the agreements operate properly. Um, but yes. It's um, 
you know, it's one of my jobs is just always, you know, keeping contact. People always say to me, how do you, you know, we treat it, although we've got these individual agreements, we think of it as a whole, we plan as a whole, and uh, it's a big logistics operation, really. Um, and think about so this time of year when we're harvesting, it's, people say, oh, how do you know where you go to the combine? But actually, with enough spread of land and topography, and it's sort of, there's a natural course for how it works. Um, except you get a week like last week when you do nothing for the last week of August, which can be a bit frustrating. The crop starts to stack up, but there were quite a lot of capacity in the system. And, you know, it's amazing what we can do very quickly um, when we get an opportunity. But, um, and, and to be fair, I think that's part of the relationship we have with our clients is, you know, they understand what we're trying to do. They hopefully get the benefits of that. Um, and, you know, you just say, well, this is our plan. And, you know, they know if it rains, it sort of starts to change the world. And do whatever, and um, it's very interesting with that. Although we're it's pretty unusual, I suppose, the 15 mile radius is not big compared to what some people are operating in, but there are four weather stations in that area. And again, you can see on your, on your phone that the variation within 15 miles is quite, um, quite extreme. Almost. So, you know, there is a bit of moving around, and right, okay, we've had rain here, we're going to go away and do this, and you know, juggling yeah. stuff around, but that's just. Uh, Right. If, you're, if, it's, if it's only 15 miles, it's easier to move equipment than, right. you know, yeah. uh, from different regions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, you obviously have regular, do you have regular meetings with all your clients or have they got different levels of how involved yeah, they want no, no, to be? So, well, some people, we, we, um, the, the different individuals, you know, the account base is very different from trusts to uh, some people who are, you know, retired now. Um, and family, that, you know, maybe the next generation, parents will on the list, the next generation will hold an asset to the farm. Um, to some people who are decided actually to step back from day to day farming and have another viable business that they, you know, they're very busy with. Um, and generally we meet people, you know, on a, on a formal basis, with medical meetings at least twice a year. And that's quite important that that's done and that is medical. Um, but so some people we, you know, there's constant contact. It's just in different levels, but that's fine. And uh, it's great. It's, you know, people are up to different emails and texts. Yeah, yeah. It's important to keep that relationship going, and that's probably why you've got a good reputation because people know that you're you're going to keep them involved as as involved as they want to be. Anyway, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so alongside the contract farming, you've also, I believe, got cold stores and grain stores at the farm too, um, which must have been quite a big investment for you. How do you use these spaces? Are they just for your own um, farm and contract farming or do you rent them out or anything? Yeah, well, in, uh, in the 90s, we said before, we were growing potatoes and building cold stores and renting land. And then in 2006, we stepped back from direct production, but we, uh, in our collaboration with Greenbelt, so um, potatoes and store... So our, within our land base, we still have potatoes growing. Uh, Greenville involved in that and, and using our stores um, in that works way. And uh, grain storage, we um, individual farms, some farms have their own grain storage, some are members of Coastal Grain, which is our local partnership in this area. So we get grain and, and give that to them, but then we do store grain here for some of our farming clients. So it's a bit of a so there must be quite a lot of moving of grain going on at harvest time. But I suppose if you're within 15 miles, do you tend to try and cart it all back to the home farm, no, or does some no, of it no, get no, dumped? We, we don't have enough storage for that. And again, some farms. So it's yeah, you know, some people think we should have massive big central grain store and chase the bins and lorries, but actually it's just tractors and trailers and and um, we juggle stuff to do in different grain stores. I think um, six sites of the carton grain too. And everything goes over a weight bridge, so we know our yields at harvest time. We know 
you know, for sales and so on. And trying to keep everyone's weights separate and things, it must be like uh, <laughs> a lesson on how to keep good records as well. Yeah, no, no, record keeping is lots of records and systems, but um, actually when you get a system up and running and it works, it's not a problem. Yeah, everyone knows what they're doing that way, don't they? Yeah, and you've also got some renewables as well, I believe. Can you tell us what you have on your farm? Yeah, we have 150 kilowatts of PV panels, which um, we've had for probably about 10 years now. Um, and that's working really well, having our cold cool storage in site. And so the 4,000 tons of cold storage in site here. So, and we have to take it generally in store for 10, 11 months of the year. And so we use a lot, well, we use about 95% of our own production. And that's been the key that we explore very little. Um, and it's worked well. And, uh, you know, some of the other farms involved with the biomass systems, the ground grain and so on. And, um, you see some of the challenges with that and, and so on, but we feel PV panels have been maintained every year, but they're, they're, they're fairly straightforward in the work that offer us and probably exceeded our expectations. Yeah, so is that something you might expand further or do you think you're comfortable with what you've got at the moment? I, I think for our site, it, it's we're probably comfortable who we are, but um, you know, it's like all technologies, isn't it? You know, it's um, we don't, when the panels get to the end of the, the time, there'll be something else, and you know. Well, well, that's it. When the, the time you put them in, they were probably very expensive, but a good feed-in tariff. And now the feed-in tariffs have gone down, but the panels have become cheaper. So, yeah, who knows in another 10 years' time what, what might be available or how expensive or what grants there might be as well to help support support those. Perfect example of uh, product being Oh, absolutely. When the, when the, the feed-in tariff was slashed and suddenly the panels were half the price. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, some people missed out on that one. Um, so, have you got any agri-environment schemes running as well um, on any of the farms that you're working uh, on? We, yeah, we have had, but uh, in all our farms in England, we do. Um, they're higher-level entry, and they're all presumably in elms. Um, in Scotland, we don't have any current schemes. Obviously, we have our greening, which is generally done with grass margins. Um, but the, the schemes in Scotland are thick, and so the arable farms are a bit harder to. Um, yeah, much more competitive. Much more competitive. It's one of the points I'd make in England is much better. Yeah, the sort of entry-level stewardship. I don't know what it's called now, but that's what it used to be called when I worked in, in Berwick. The entry-level stewardship was just a level that everyone could get some funding for doing small things, and I think it worked really well. Um, I take it, is it still like that now, or is yeah, it competitive? Yeah, entry-level, higher-level, and then, you know, Elms is going to be the successor, but England's is much further down the road of, uh, you know, planning how they're going to fall with that. There's completely Scotland Valley just looking for a bigger plot in London. It's wonderful. No, we'll see what happens with that in the in the future. Um, so you've obviously made a lot of changes to the business over the years, just adapted to demand from from local farmers and and you know the markets and things by changing from potatoes to to growing more cereals and things. How have all these changes impacted your business? Do you think has there been any positive benefits that you can see from the changes that you've made? Um, well, it's yeah, um, well, yeah, positive benefits. We're quite. Uh, you know, what's the challenge? The challenge is to, you know, why do we do it? Um, to be able to make a viable business for us. Uh, it's obviously a personal challenge for Jill and I, um, you know, running a business and you know, mm-hmm. keeping a good team of people together. It's, um, it's a challenge and, and it's rewarding to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, uh, you know, it, it is pretty stressful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all down to the weather, really. That's the thing. You know, people say, what's the biggest influence? And, and you can talk about politics and all these other things. Which are a huge influence, but at the end of the day, actually, the weather rules what happens and find the outcome of the year and you know, what costs have been and how we grow crops and 
I mean, there's lots of external factors, as you mentioned there, you know, at the moment we've got the Brexit issue still looming and no one really knows what's happening with that yet. And we've got coronavirus, obviously, has been a big factor, but maybe not, you know, hit farmers quite as hard as, as other sectors. And um, But, you know, climate change is, is the big one. How are you trying to future proof your, your business to make sure, you know, if, if we get, well, this, this harvest hasn't been great so far um, in terms of wet, extreme weather conditions, how are you trying to future proof for coping with those situations when you've got a lot of land to cover? Yeah, it's... Um this is going to sound about, we seem, we seem to buy more capacity in machinery, which, uh-huh. which actually increases our costs. So people think, well, you need to reduce costs to future proof. But you know, the, the challenge we have, and, and you know, the cost of kit is just phenomenal. Um, we have a new combine this year, for example, and uh, you know, it was for, uh, excluding the, take off discount and excluding trade-in, but we go to check for it today, it was 410,000 pounds. And that equivalent model 14 years ago was 200,000. So it's doubled in 14 years. Um, and yes, it's got a bit more, and it's not, that's the equivalent model, but yes, it's got more capacity, it's got more technology in it. Um, and that just seems to be, uh, I think we seem to buy, it's, we don't buy more capacity to take on more land, but we seem to buy more capacity to deal with it, working on shorter weather with it. Um, and that's quite frustrating because that's actually increasing your costs, and then you've got to go to dead times. So, but you have to, you know, at the end of the day, if, if the rain's not, you know, not, it's not in the barn or it's not drilled in it's case pot, then you don't have an income. So we really don't have a lot of choice. But, um, you know, the that we have to do. And we do seem to be getting more extremes of weather compared to uh, uh, we'll just worked out. We were actually only combined uh, 14 days in August this year. Um, which is um, there weren't all full days, but it's there's a lot of um, not getting on when you turn in but we'll catch up in the areas. Where you get these deluges and then you can't get on for two days, and yeah, it's uh, very frustrating. Very frustrating for everyone. And and so establishment techniques. Do you use traditional plough system, or are you on mintill or a mixture? Well, it's uh, I call it um, something minimal by what we do, but it's, it's surface cultivation, so it's not a version. Um, so we're running running two contracts now: with surface cultivators, similar cells, um, and then we create the scale seabed, so they chase the combines. Yeah, and is that for weed control or is that just because um, it fits in with the system? Um, I think uh, it's, not, it's not particularly weed control, it's just I think it's I think rotation is plough uh, every four, five, six years, depending on the cropping within the rotations. Um, it's good. Uh, and there's lots of talk and about regenerative agriculture and so on. But at the end of the day, it's all about drainage, soil structure. Um, and part of that is applying in good conditions, cultivating um, in the right conditions, um, and you know, not doing direct drilling and so on. You know, there's two all that happens, it seems to me, is that you seem to drop, output seems to drop, um, and it's an issue, whereas you know, it's all about, you know, the farming system we have in the UK, generally, is high, like other systems around the world, is high, uh, higher, um, there's lots of reasons why that is, but one of them is climate, or a temperate climate, and water has to get away, 
So when you have more systems of question, that you feel you're familiar with your plan, they're like you did, which is the fundamentals. Um, you know, incentivizing the 70s, and maybe, maybe that's something that, you know, Brexit, uh, you know, Brexit UK should be considering is incentives for you and you yeah, and and do you add much organic matter to? Because I'm presuming most of these farms are just purely arable, or does anyone have yeah. livestock on them? Yeah, and some of our farms uh, there's still uh, suckling herds on them, or bed and breakfast cattle, um, or you know livestock in them. So there's farm out in the and systems, and then office cross truck as well. And organic matter is a good, a good tester, and then, you know, organic matters. Surprisingly high and are increasing. So, what do you think makes you, your business, and you personally particularly resilient? Because you come across as someone that's always looking for opportunities and, and taking those opportunities, but with that, you have to be resilient to, to harder times. Because um, I'm sure it's, there are some years which are more challenging. How do you cope with that? I think I, I like to uh, personally. I like to think cope with stress pretty well. But I think as you get older, you, you become more risk averse a bit. But it's then having systems, and I think that's where maybe experience maybe takes over a bit. Um, I think it's important to, you know, you, when you've done this thing, you know, when you're farming for you, you do build that experience, and, you know, sometimes you actually have to, you know, screw the heat, as I say, and just think about the situation and not just keep going in tunnel vision and see the wider implications and see the bigger picture. Um, and so that's what experience gives you, I suppose. So, I think that, you know, that's, and I'd like to think that, you know, as a, as a team, David and I have put a good at working that out and, and, and seeing that. Um, Having the people there to support you is important, isn't it? Just so that oh, you've absolutely. got someone yeah. to yeah. fall back on. It's all about that. You know, Jill and I can do what we do without the people around us to do that. Um, I, think, I think as a business, sorry, uh, as a business resilience is understanding price levels and we're, um, you know, grain markings, you know, I always say it's the worst part of my job and it is, and I always hate it, but, but then, you, you know, it's understanding what a good price is and, and you know, if you, um, you know, there have been, you know, although grain prices vary usually, don't they? And you can see a swing in 100 pounds in a year and a ton, but it's actually trying to look back and look at the marketing policy and having fixed points and it's something we discuss with our clients, um, you know, we're putting budgets together and marketing policies, but actually if you can underpin Center of your production, the even the price, it does take the pressure off considerably. Um, and you don't always get those opportunities, but you know, you've got to look for it and you come along. Um, and you can do that with various contracts and, and, and so on. And you could do anything better with marketing, but it's just a case of understanding how their policy and your company. Yeah, knowing your costs is key, isn't it? Knowing when to sell when you've met your met your costs. That's it. And I think if you do that, that does bring an element of resilience into your business. Um, yeah. Once you know you've got that. And and you've got children, haven't you? Are they showing an interest in, in farming as well? Are they coming into the business or are they not that age yet? Yeah, no, no, we have two, two boys. Uh, Murray, who is just started his last year of school, he's uh, 17 years old. Um, and uh, yeah, Murray's interested and uh, he would, you know, he's going to do sort of a you know, business management course at some degree and then we'll see, you know, both set there and then at you know in the future if he wants to come back. Uh, and Angus is very interested in his popular dreams to be happy that he's uh but the GSEs GSEs uh, coming up to be sixteen so 
Um, the book helped, and I've just gone back to school this week, and uh, yeah, which is good. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's another dimension for life, and another generation we're interested in. Yes, that's right. You, you know what you're doing it for then. You're keeping it going for them as well, um, if, if, if and when they want to take over. So what what have been the biggest high points for you in your farming career so far? Ooh, <laughs> high points. Uh, there must uh, be some. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no. Well, I think I, annually, you know, the, we didn't get it last year. If you get a, you get a harvest completed in reasonable order, you know, it's very silly that harvest completed in reasonable order and get your drilling completed in reasonable order, then... Actually, that's quite a nice feeling, you know, the satisfaction of the job well done. I think last year, yeah, we got harvest and fine, but we never really completed drilling. It was just, uh, so it's back to that weather-related thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, you know, I must say it's very, it's nice when somebody pulls up and says, look, we have a chat about having a farm, because obviously, you know, it can be a little bit of business, can't it, even when, with no matter what you've got around you, but actually somebody, you know, recognition from your peers, I suppose, could do the, and we're very lucky we were nominated in 2011 to the Farmers Weekly Awards and uh, you know somehow we won that which was our farmer that year uh, and again that was quite a nice process to go through and, and um, done you know likes of that and other courses and things we've done over the years it's it's um it's not you know it's always taking part in it actually it, it's about the, the people you meet and network it comes on the back of that and we've had a huge amount of farm business over the years before that and after that and um, and it's amazing to go off to some of the shows or get a good mark, you know, you have to your farm and, and that sort of stuff. And it's just, um, occasionally get a phone call and you meet people. And it's just that network of people around the country, around the world as well, you know, come visit this. And, and I always say to the boys, you know, they, you know they, they should travel in the world. So, you know, it's amazing the people that um, come across over the years and, and you know, it's bad for you know, so things like that are and would you say you're always trying to push yourself to to do new things and, and make new networks, or is that just part of part of the business you're in? Do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think it's part of the business you're in, but it's um, you know you just have to. It's it sounds boring, but it's just over time you do build up a network of people, um, and you know, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's very important. Um, and you know, the whole COVID things change that, doesn't it? You know. Not had their interaction this summer that they normally do, and people are missing it. And I don't, I'm not convinced it's going to come back very quick next year. Um, so, I think how we interact with people again, and, um, you know, and it's been a bit of a control of the moment for, for relationships in that way and, and contact with people. And okay, yeah, as you said earlier, businesses have probably carried on compared to most of us, pretty normal. And you can be affected in the industry, really. But, um, but there are other aspects of the life that haven't been pushed up. Yeah. So, what are your goals and aspirations for your business over the next wee while? <laughs> yeah, survival, I think. No, it's a. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, um, carry on doing what we're, we're doing and trying to get the best of our ability. And that sounds really boring, but actually, that's what that's what we do. And um, you know, I've no desire to, to you know. Farming, whatever you know, I always say to people, you know, people, what, how many hectares are farming? And I, and I always say, but no, well, you know, actually, it's not a 
it's not a you know it's not a KPI in our business or anything like that, and, and it's not something that drives us on. To, you know, it's not about massive net liberation. Uh, it's about doing what we do to the best of our ability, and and, um, and you know that's a, a challenge is to carry on trying to do that, and uh, you know it seems to become more challenging all the time with increased you know regulation. And, Draw back to the ingredients and chemicals and then the profits, the weather's big factor, increasing costs, you know, things we've all mentioned. Um, so, you know, the challenge in running a business doesn't go away. But um, it's good fun, you know, it's when you get it right and the team and everything going well and you get a sense of satisfaction. You know. Yeah. So, so, what is success for you then? How, and how, how would you measure that? <laughs> uh, well, we, we try to make a profit every year. Um, uh, and that's important. And uh, but you know our, our agreements are obviously our core business, and then the agreements, and they are structured. No single farm payment is part of it. So you know, that's what I say to people: it's real time farming, and uh, it's all about output, and and then that's split between both parties. So you know, we are very much dependent, you know, on annual return, and that's backed by you know, a number of factors to say. And so you know that's what's key for us. But that's those agreements are not supported by single farm payment. And in a way, that's quite reassuring um, because we know that you know thing can work. But then, at the end of the day, single farm payment and those support levels would be more than just propping up arable production. It's all it's infrastructure in the country, isn't it? And, and all these things that we own, and that filters back into the economy. So, so we've got to support is needed to, from the rural community. Okay, I think that's me at the end of all my questions because we kind of answered some of them as I was going through. I was trying to tick things off to make sure we've covered everything. So thank you, Colin, for taking the time to talk to us today and providing such an interesting insight into your farming business. The Farm Advisory Service is recording four podcasts on resilience and business skills, which are being followed by a webinar on the 10th of November, which will give you the opportunity to ask these farmers additional questions. You can find out more about the Farm Advisory Service on our website, www.fas.scot, or if you need advice, call the helpline on 0300 323 0161.